You are listening to the Dark Fantastic Podcast. Welcome to this new episode of the Dark Fantastic Podcast. This is a very special episode with a very special guest focusing on a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. So stay tuned and let's begin. What makes a creative partnership successful? Is it the chemistry between the collaborators or is it the tension? Or is it the ability of one partner to compromise, letting the other dominate a little bit? In literature, not counting ghost-written books or James Patterson's novels, successful collaborations are somewhat rare. There are the acclaimed novels written by Joseph Conrad and Ford Maddox Ford, including The Nature of a Crime and The Inheritors, and more recently there is Stephen King and Peter Straub's partnership on The Talisman and its sequel, Black House, for example, and there are the wonderful Preston and Child novels featuring eccentric detective Aloysius Pendergrast, but for the most part, literary collaborations that are of any real value are somewhat rare. I think it has to do with the very personal nature of writing books and novels and and short stories because writing books is a very solitary thing it's a sort of a type of meditation so i think to involve someone else in that very personal very meditative process is not easy and I think for someone to collaborate with another writer especially on such a complex and long process as writing a novel together I think you have to really get along with that person I think on many levels Because writing novels takes months and sometimes it takes a year and sometimes it takes even longer than that. So I imagine that doing that with another person is something similar to a marriage. And uh, you have to agree, I think, on almost everything, at least in regards to creative tastes and, and and creative sensibilities in order to be able to finish the project without getting in, into numerous fights and, and, uh, and, and disagreeing on a lot of things because with any creative endeavor it's a very delicate balance and it, it depends on mood and temperament and atmosphere and it's a, it's a very complicated process. So I think that's part of the reason that writing collaborations 
again, especially on novels, is very rare. And when it takes place successfully, if you go back and read the individual works of, of each author, you will find that there is a lot in common between them. Like the example I, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago uh, of the collaborations between Stephen King and Peter Straub, although they are different in some ways, but I think Peter Straub especially was very influenced by Stephen King's writing early in his career because if you read Straub's earlier novels, like uh, especially Julia, which is his first horror novel, it's very different than what Straub later wrote because everything Straub wrote, especially in the 80s, including his most successful novel, Ghost Story, is influenced by King's writing to a large extent. And he has mentioned that he admires Stephen King's writing very, very much and that it has actually influenced him. So he admits that. So for them to collaborate on such big novels as The Talisman and Black House, I think was somewhat natural. But movies and TV are another matter. Here, collaborations are more common. There is the partnership between Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond, which produced a number of classic films, including Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, and The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. And there is the troubled partnership between Alfred Hitchcock and David Oselznik, which resulted in the production of such classics as Rebecca, Spellbound, and one of my favorite Hitchcock movies, Notorious. But it also resulted in such disasters as The Paradigm Case, which is arguably Hitchcock's worst film. Which brings me to the most intriguing, to me at least, of all creative partnerships, which is the teaming of David Lynch and Mark Frost, who together created one of the greatest, if not the greatest, TV show of all time, Twin Peaks. Summer, 1990. A teenage boy in trouble. An evil that only comes out at night. Only a straight-to-VHS movie can save him. From A. Kale, the author of, Beware the Night. Bad Dreams. A thrilling horror novel, now available on Amazon. Rated PG-13, for some thematic elements, and mild violence.
The debate on who should take credit for the magic of Twin Peaks has been going on for a long, long time. Numerous books have been written about the making of Twin Peaks, about what took place behind the scenes, especially of the first two seasons. And some say that the secret ingredient is Lynch's filmmaking, Lynch's vision, and his fascination with continuing mysteries and continuing stories. Others claim that Mark Frost, who is a very versatile screenwriter and novelist, is the one to thank for the fascinating storytelling and characters of the series. It's a complex question because I think it always gets very impassioned and very subjective answers. Season 1 of Twin Peaks, for example, is considered by most to be the series at its best. But season 1 didn't involve Lynch very much. He was busy finishing up work on uh, Wild at Heart and Frost almost single-handedly oversaw the production of most of the episodes with the exception, of course, of the pilot which was shot and finished a year before the series aired, if not longer. And, of course, David Lynch co-wrote the first two episodes of season one and directed one episode of the season, which is episode two. But season two, which in my opinion had some of the best episodes of the series, especially during the season's first half, heavily involved Lynch. But then it went astray and never recovered when Frost was left to his own devices. That lull between the death of Maddie and the unmasking of Laura Palmer's killer and then the appearance of Wyndham Earl there are about 10 episodes, 9 or 10 episodes in season 2 that are just, you know, subpar. They are just, they, they, the writing on, on these 9 or 10 episodes is way below the level of season 1 and even the best of season two. So again, it's, it's a complex question because Frost was to a large extent responsible for at least the second half of season two. So what went wrong and who's responsible? And again, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is pure Lynch with no involvement from Frost whatsoever. But to me, 
firewalk with me is an overwrought and bleak film lacking the heart of the TV show while the missing pieces a collection of scenes deleted from the film and edited together by Lynch as a feature is arguably one of the best things to ever come out of the Twin Peaks saga capturing the mystery, the magic and the horror of the TV show perfectly and the missing pieces also had zero input from Frost so Lynch was capable to a large extent of capturing the magic and the mood of Twin Peaks without Frost then there is Twin Peaks The Return written by Lynch and Frost which turned out to be polarizing and some might say disappointing so what's the secret of Twin Peaks and who's responsible for its magic and what's the secret of creative partnerships it's a mystery and a fascinating question not easy to answer My guest on this episode is an author, publisher, and TV historian. He is one of the founders of Fayetteville Mafia Press, a writer-centric independent publisher dedicated to producing high-quality nonfiction. He is also a recognized authority on Twin Peaks, and his latest book on the show Conversations with Mark Frost is out now. He joins me on the show to talk about great television, how he became a writer, and, of course, about Twin Peaks. And during our discussion, we come across what might be the definitive answer to the question, will there ever be more Twin Peaks? Please welcome David Bushman. So, what books did you read as a kid that made you want to get into the business of writing and publishing? Well, you know, my favorite book is probably To Kill a Mockingbird, but I remember in uh, sixth grade English, we read a book called um, Lost Horizon by James Hilton. And um, I remember that we got a writing assignment to sort of come up with an alternative ending. And we did the assignment in class, I think, or maybe it was at home. But in any event, the, the next day or a couple of days later, the, my English teacher read my uh, answer. Um, I, I love the book. I totally loved it. And there's a movie with uh, Ronald Coleman, which is great, too, from the 30s. But my English teacher read my answer and um, he was the first person who made me think that maybe I, I mean, I hadn't even thought about it before that, that maybe I had some talent for writing and, and, you know, I mean, I, not that I'm a great writer, but I think that, uh, you know, maybe I'm better than average. And um, so 
then somehow I got in. So I figured, you know, what later on in life, what am I going to do with myself? And I figured journalism would probably be uh, an interesting way to go. And I went to journalism school and, and graduated and got jobs on newspapers. And, you know, I've been writing ever since. So what attracted you to nonfiction writing? Um, you know, I mean, I've, I took creative writing classes in, in school, in college. And so, I mean, I've, I've done short stories from that perspective. Um, you know, I guess from journalism to nonfiction writing is not that big a leap. Um, and so it was something I was more comfortable with. And it's a lot easier to get it published than it is to get um, fiction published. And, um, you know, I'd like to someday try fiction, but I, I think not the not kind of nonfiction that I do is not that different from uh, <coughs> journalism, which I have, you know, decades of experience in. So I'm it's just something I'm comfortable with. Yeah, the reason I'm asking is that, as you mentioned, your, uh, your writing style or your voice uh, it just reads like a novel, and uh, that's why I'm looking forward to your new book, which we'll get to later, because I think it it will read uh, so much like a novel. But speaking of things you you liked as a kid and things that got you passionate about writing, what about TV shows? Well, um not so much as a kid, I wouldn't um, identify shows that got me interested in writing, but in, in, uh, after college, I was working for a newspaper in suburban New York in Westchester County. And I actually um, started, I, I sort of had lost interest in TV, like a lot of people of my generation did at that point. But um, I was dating a woman who was really into a show called St. Elsewhere. I don't know if you know that show or not. It's um, it was a uh, you know, a medical show, a fiction, um, and it was produced by uh, MTM Enterprises, which also did the Mary Tyler Moore show and Hill Street Blues. But I always thought, um, and and I really got into that show. It was this really great combination of humor and drama, and um, it had some great writing. And Tom Fontana was one of the writers uh, for it, and he. Um, I think he's a great writer. He did Homicide, Life on the Street. It was executive produced by Bruce Paltrow, who's Gwyneth's dad. <clears throat> and um, it was a really good show and it operated on a lot of different levels and it was very sort of meta and they did a lot of experimentation. Um, they did like a, a dream show and um, they did a black and white show. And um, so all this um, experimentation, I really got into that show. And then I kind of got back into... TV and I followed Tom's career especially. And like I said, he then went on to do Homicide Life on the Street, which was a really, which was based on a book by David Simon who did The Wire, which was another really influential show for me. Um, so I guess that, and then, you know, that time when with, um, with St. Elsewhere, other shows, there were, it was a really a renaissance time for TV. You had, um 30 something was on and the wonder years was on and um just a bunch of uh twin peaks of course came on right around that time as well so that was a and then and then i went to work for variety and i was editing the tv pages so 
and it, you know, it was incumbent on me to know TV, uh, to, you know, be immersed in TV at that point, because I was editing those pages. Um, and, and that was my, my life. Um, so that period of the like mid to uh, mid to late eighties and the early nineties was a really influential period for me. Right. So can you talk a little bit about the journey to publishing your first book? Well, um, when I was working at the media, the museum of TV and radio, which was um, is now called the Palace Center for Media, we got some money from uh, General Motors to do a book on stand-up comedians and uh, stand-up comedians on television. And that was a time where you know all these shows were uh, Seinfeld was really big, and there were, and uh, you had all these shows that were being fronted by stand-up comedians who were making the transition to sitcoms. So you had people like. I hate to mention Bill Cosby, but I will, because I think he started it all. But Roseanne, Seinfeld, Paul Reiser with Mad About You, Tim Allen with uh, Home Improvement. Everybody was looking for the next stand-up comedian who could um, be the centerpiece of a sitcom. So we did, we did that book, and I did a long introductory essay for that, and we had some great writers who contributed. That was kind of my first um, contribution to a book. Then I did a couple of essays for um, uh, Chicago, uh, University of Chicago Press had an imprint called Intellect. Uh, and I did a couple of books, a couple of uh, essays, one for um, a book on Twin Peaks and one for a book on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then uh, I had a colleague at the Paley Center who was, work, who was writing books for, um, Applause, which was a publisher um, owned by Hal Leonard. And uh, we, my, my, uh, my friend Arthur Smith and I approached them uh, with a bunch of ideas. The first idea was, was for superheroes and they actually accepted that ideas. But then they came back to us and said, we had gotten not very far into it. And they said that their uh, attorneys were afraid that you know Marvel and DC was very, uh, they were very um, prone to lawsuits. So we, they said, let's stay away from that. So then they went down our list and they were looking for other things on our list. And it just so happened to be right around the time, right after Twin Peaks, it was announced that Twin Peaks was coming back and Twin Peaks had been on our list. So that was how the first book happened. And, um, you know, it was an interesting experience. Um, uh, but then the second book we did for them, which I think is the better book, because we've got all kinds of interviews in there and um, was for was about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And um, and then uh, and then, you know, uh, through the Twin Peaks connection, I had uh, yeah, I was listening to different podcasts, one of which was Deer Meadow Radio, which was um, done by a guy named Mark Givens and. Uh, he did an, I, when I had done the Twin Peaks book, I had come across the Hazel Drew story. And, um, and then Mark, separately from me, had also come across it. And we both were really interested in it. And I reached out to him and said, um, you know, would you be interested in doing a book on this? And, and he said, yes. And that's how that book started. And then for a long time, I've been wanting to start a publishing company, which is kind of a crazy idea because it's hard. You know, to go up against these majors like Penguin and 
Macmillan and, uh, you know, Simon and Schuster, it's really hard. But, you know, I actually found uh, I have tremendous admiration and respect for my partner in our company, Fayetteville Mafia Press, for Scott Ryan, who, um, who actually was crazy enough to say yes. And, and then we've been publishing, you know, we've published about 10 books so far. And, you know, we're, we've got like something like six books coming out next year. And we've, we've already got books scheduled for the following year as well. So that's kind of taken off. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I actually just recently learned about the Buffy book. Uh, and, um, and I'm going to get a copy of that because I'm also a big fan of, uh, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was one of my favorite shows um, as, a, as a teenager, basically, or maybe during college. But uh, I, I'll definitely pick up a, co a copy of that. I think it's also available as an ebook, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I love that show too. And, you know, I have two daughters and uh, we've watched it as a family, like so many times, but I I'm with you. I love that. Of course, you know, Joss Whedon who created it is kind of toxic right now, but it doesn't take <laughs> away from the accomplishments of the show and, and all the other people who worked on it. How did your fascination with Twin Peaks start? Because reading, uh, Reading your books, um, it seems that you are really, uh, you have become an authority on Twin Peaks. And of course, you wrote, uh, in my opinion, the, the most insightful book about Twin Peaks, which is Conversations with Mark Frost. And I'll ask you about that in a minute. But I want to know how it all started for you with Twin Peaks. I know you, you said that, of course, you were a fan uh, watching it when it aired. But uh, how did you become such a, such a super fan, basically? Yeah, well, you know, I was editing TV copy at Variety in New York when Twin Peaks started. Uh, reports about David Lynch coming to TV were circulating and and i remember you know those stories about how uh abc couldn't decide what to do with it um so we were editing stories about it a lot and um you know i was a definitely um hugely um a huge fan of david lynch's movies um which at that point i guess was a racer head and um blue uh blue velvet and um you know dune which was you know, story unto itself. But um, so, you know, it was exciting news that Lynch was coming to TV, the, to not just TV, but a broadcast network, which was unbelievable. I mean, who could imagine uh, Lynch's stuff playing on broadcast television? Uh, apparently the executive, executives at ABC couldn't because they were like hemming and hawing about putting it on. And we would, you know, stories just kept going on and on about like, what's gonna, what, what are they gonna do with it? And, and then, um, so I was interested in it for that reason. I mean, it got all this pre-premiere press and I was interested in Lynch and um, anyway, and, and then, you know, of course I was gonna watch it because it was such a big deal. And, you know, the pilot, you know, blew, blew most people away. It was an amazing pilot. So unlike anything that had been on, um, any kind of TV, cable or, or network before. And, um, and, you know, I'm one of these people who didn't 
I mean, there is like a, I think Mark Frost talks about this. There's like this four or five episode um, arc in season two um, where it, you know, suffers greatly, but then I think it picks up tremendously again when um, Wyndham Earl comes to town. Um, you know, of course, it never got the viewers back after that. Um, but I'm one of those people who, who thinks that, with the exception of like four episodes in season two, that it that it was really high quality TV all the way through to the end. Unfortunately, almost nobody was watching by that point. The, they had been um, preempted because of the Gulf War. They had moved around the dates. They put it on Saturday night, which was a huge mistake. I mean, people who were watching Twin Peaks weren't home on Saturday night. So by the end, nobody, it kind of went out, came in with a bang and went out with a whimper, as they say. And, you know, that that was my livelihood at that point was sort of watching TV and, and trying to understand it and what was going on and trends and things like that. And uh, and so I was drawn to it for that reason. And, and then it was just so good. It's it's not it's a no brainer by now. But anyone who's listening to this interview, of course, knows what we're talking about. But the pilot, uh, the pilot for Twin Peaks um, and uh, I don't know if, if you will agree with me on this, but I love the uh, the European version. Yeah. Uh, because th- that's how I actually found out about Twin Peaks. I found, um, I was in London and I found a copy of, a VHS copy of the, uh, of the feature, you know, the, the, uh, on the, on the, on the box of the tape, they said uh, a new feature film by David Lynch, because that's how it was marketed over there before i think the show aired so i found this old vhs copy of this pilot and uh, and i didn't know about david lynch at the time i hadn't watched blue velvet and so uh, just watching the pilot especially the european version was just mind-blowing i i can't imagine how how people felt watching something like that on television because you, you did see it on tv when it premiered right yeah, 1990. You know, that's really interesting, Ahmed, because you're the first person I've ever talked to who, whose uh, first um, viewing of, of Twin Peaks was the European uh, feature version. That's, that's really interesting. I have never talked to, to anybody else who had that experience. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think it, it really affected how I, I view Twin Peaks and how, you know, because it was very hard, hard for me to actually track down a copy of the series because uh, because because I had no access to, to cable TV at the time and it wasn't I think it wasn't running maybe on on Bravo I think or something but it, uh, for my generation it wasn't really well known and David Lynch hadn't really exploded yet you know like he did later. Uh, because I think he had like a second renaissance uh, after Lost Highway, I think. But during the period between the the uh, the ending of the Twin Peaks, uh, you know, era with Firewalk with Me and maybe Lost Highway or the Straight Story, there was this lull in the middle, and uh, I didn't know about David Lynch and just watching that pilot. Uh, you know, I had never seen uh, the the, th- the thing that attracted me the most, or or surprised me the most, was the sound design because I'd never seen anything that sounded like that. The the, the sound design 
of that pilot in particular was just very, very, very strange. I don't know if you if you remember that. Um, I know that Lynch is very um, attentive to sound. I mean, there's that story about how when he uh, made, I think it was Fire Walk With Me, that he uh, sent out a note with um, with the he insisted that the comp- that the distributor sent out a note with the with the um, reel which they were using at that time film reels um, to um, play it at a certain level and so I and I know mm-hmm. that sound has always been really important to him throughout throughout his throughout his work but you know that kind of stuff that's again that's interesting that you say that because that kind of stuff is a lot more difficult to control in television than it is in film. So um, uh, I think, you know, he had, to, he had to overcome a lot. I say he, and I always, I mean they, him and Mark uh, Frost had to uh, overcome a lot of uh, network um, uh, reticence or um, uh, hurdles and um, um, you know for for anything I mean I'm sure that the network couldn't have cared less what the sound was you know but anyway so uh, <laughs> I have noticed the the influence the importance of sound in, in Lynch's work all of Lynch's work yes yeah of course I, I was I was just mentioning uh, mentioning the pilot because uh, I think because he he basically because uh, of course when, when I'm when I'm talking about David Lynch like you just said I mean Lynch Frost but uh, Lynch is basically responsible for the technical aspects I think we we at least have to give him that he is basically he has the final say when it comes to the filmmaking I think especially on the pilot but the the I think the sound design of the pilots especially was was a bit different than the than the than the sound design on the series because I think he had he he had total control over the over the pilot and he treated it as a feature so that's why it sounded so unique but anyway I think we are sounding too much like fanboys so <laughs> I think I better get back to the interview so you you write about this in your book uh, conversations with Mark Frost which is a wonderful book I can't stress how much I love I love that book thank you. But can you talk a little bit about how you finally managed to convince Mark Frost to collaborate with you on this book? Because I think um, I think he was always a bit reticent, especially during the the airing and after the airing of the final season. He was a bit reticent to talk about what went on, you know, behind the scenes and. How did you actually manage to convince him to do the book, and how was it like working with uh, with Mark Frost? So when I was writing the book Twin Peaks FAQ, I really started to um, think. It, it really sort of jumped out at me that Mark's contributions to Twin Peaks are, I think, unfairly. Uh, I don't want to say overlooked, but minimum, but not completely. Um, um, valued at the level that they should be. So, um, I mean, it's, you know, you'd see all these headlines of like Lynch's this and Lynch's that. And I think that's a terrible injustice, but, um, I had already spoken to Mark Frost because we reached out to him through his publisher. Um, you know, he wrote those two Twin Peaks novels, um, about the Hazel Drew story. 
so I had established a relationship with him through that. You know, we reached out to the publisher and said, you know, we're writing this book about Hazel Drew. Would would Mark be interested in talking to us about that? So we talked to Mark and also his brother Scott, who was a, a writer for Twin Peaks as well. So I had that relationship with him, and then I and then I reached out to him again uh, and sent him an email and and said, you know, I'd really like to to do something on your career beyond. Um, not just Twin Peaks, but all, all your work and uh, in all of the different media. And I didn't get any answer from him at first. And then like I had some time went by and I um, sent him another email and I said, you know, uh, I'm just wanted to check in and see if you've given this any thought. And he said his reply was something like, I'm thinking about it. Um, and then, you know, and then a little while after that, I got an, an email from him and it said, you know, let's do it. I think it was something like that. So, so then I wound up talking to him about, I'm going to say maybe 15 times, uh, about 15 times over the course of a year. And, um, and, you know, he was definitely more open about some things than other things. I mean, there, he was, he didn't really want to interpret Twin Peaks for, for the readers. He really did want to kind of leave it, um, I mean, it was it was hard work to get him to to comment on some of the you know what some stuff meant because um, he really didn't want to go there. He really wanted, and, and I remember having a conversation with him, and and you know him saying, "Well, you know, it's it's whatever interpretation you bring to it, you know." Like, and I said, "That may be, Mark, but as somebody who's studying your work, I think it's interesting to know what you think. You know, like how does it?" sort of fit in with the rest of your oeuvre and, you know, the themes that you approach and the themes that you're attracted to and so on. So I made a little headway, but he was reticent to talk about that. And in terms of behind the scenes stuff that was going on, um, you know, that also was something that he didn't, wasn't real eager to talk about. And, and I think you might get that sense from the book that there are things that he just like, I think I even said to him at one point, like, is that all you're going to give me? And he said, that's it for now or something like that. So there were, there were certain yeah. topics that were difficult to draw him out on. And, you know, we had some conversations that were off the record where he um, helped me, uh, you know, understand things a little bit better and contextualize them, but he didn't want to go on the record with them. So there was that element as well. But in terms of, you know, by far, by far, I mean, um, Twin Peaks was the hardest thing uh, to get him to talk about. Uh, mm -hmm. Absolutely. He was, you know, so um, forthcoming with everything else that we talked about. But, you know, and I think part of that is just that, you know, it's not, Twin Peaks is not his alone and he respects that. You know, like he has to, um, you know, I think he respects that actually more than David Lynch does. Um, you know, that it's that it's a co-production. But, um, you know, so I think he respected, you know, that Lynch doesn't want certain things explained or, um, you know, stuff like that. So I think that's really where that came from. Yeah. Yeah, it comes across in the book, definitely. Um... I think the way you you structure the book and uh, and the way you approach him and and the way you phrase the questions 
I th- that's why I keep saying that to me as a as a huge fan of Twin Peaks and David Lynch's work and of course Mark Frost's work as well uh, as a writer and as an author that's why I keep saying that your book Conversations with Mark Frost I think it is the most insightful of all the books uh, written about Twin Peaks um, because it's the only book I I read about Twin Peaks that actually has the um, you know has Mark Frost in in some sort of an informal you know mood or uh, he's a bit of of a confessional mood I think a bit and he says things although it's uh, as as uh, as I as I mentioned uh, earlier, and I wrote a review of 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 your book on my website, and I mentioned in in the review that he never Frost never comes out and you know criticizes Lynch outright, but he has some very interesting and some might say negative things to say about Lynch and what went wrong with the with the final season. And why it was a bit, I mean, the return, Twin Peaks, the return, why it was a bit divisive, I think. Because they, they seem to have a very interesting relationship. Uh, and uh, Harley Payton, you know, has, has commented uh, on that and has talked about that in many, many, on many, many podcasts. But in light of all that and your experience with Frost and your experience in writing the book with him, do you think down the line there will be another collaboration between Lynch and Frost? Well, first of all, let me compliment you on your uh, perceptive uh, skills because I think you are very accurate in what you just said. So um, in terms of reading between the lines, I think that was extremely perceptive on your part. Secondly, you. uh, to answer your last question, um, I, I think as Mark Frost, I think himself has said, never say never, but I do not think so, no. Hmm. Yeah, I got that impression from from uh, from the book and I don't wanna, you know, give away too much for for, uh, for readers who haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of, of the book. But I think the most telling uh, line in, in, in your book about the relationship was when uh, Mark says that he uh, that he basically uh, he was basically locked out of the editing room during the editing of the return and that he knew someone he doesn't mention who uh, in you know who worked uh, in the editing room who actually you know s- smuggled out uh, I think a rough a rough co- uh, cut of one of the episodes or something like that I think that I think that says it I, I don't think. That says it all. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. I, I, I think that that is. I agree with you that that is a um, illustrative uh, comment. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating book. It's it's really it's a wonderful re- read, and uh, I think it's it's a, it's a very good read actually for for people who aren't even Twin Peaks fans because it covers. Uh, a lot of of uh, of topics and i think it's a very valuable book uh, to writers and people who want to know about the writing craft and about how to make it you know how to break into uh, hollywood especially the tv industry it's it's a great book so uh you're welcome 
Uh, I really mean it, you know, if, if, because I read so many books, as, as I said, about Twin Peaks, and there are a lot of good books out there about Twin Peaks, but especially coming, you know, coming out of the Twin Peaks, the return experience as a fan, I didn't know how I felt about that, about that season, uh, except with, maybe later when I watched it again. But your book actually, uh, you know, helped me and helped, I think, a lot of fans and a lot of people interested in in TV history and the making of great TV shows to understand exactly how how the season was was shaped. And uh, um, anyway, you, anyway. How, how did you feel about the return? Well, I uh, I watching it because I watched it um, as it aired. Uh, and watching it, you know, episode by episode, I have to admit, wasn't a very pleasant experience. You know, every every week uh, spread over 18 episodes, I didn't really get the Twin Peaks vibe uh, out of it. But uh, I later, you know, I think I after after that, you know, shocking finale, I took a break from watching Twin Peaks for i think maybe a year or something and then i bought the the return on dvd and i watched the whole series and, and uh the movie firewalk with me you know in sequence mm-hmm. and when you watch the whole you know saga in in sequence i think it's a different experience and i think if you do that you i think uh, you like the the return uh more and you get into it more, and you actually get what Mark Frost, I think, was going for uh, when when you do that. And I don't know if if my uh, reaction was was you know colored uh, with that second viewing because between the first and the second viewing of the Return, I read the two books that Frost you know put out, and yeah. I loved the final dossier. I think it's just. It's, I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I don't want to say it's better than the return because it's that's not that's not fair. But I think, I think the return is incomplete without the final dossier. Right. That's my opinion. Right. I don't know if you agree with that. I you know I like both books too. I mean I have not watched the return since it aired. Um, you know, I, 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 so I think it's kind of unfair for me in a way to comment on it because I really should go back and revisit. I mean, obviously I was blown away by what was a part eight and, and everything. You know, I sort of, are you a Wes Anderson fan at all? You know, so-and-so, I don't, I don't think, you know, I like some of his stuff, but I like Rushmore very much, but some of his later stuff, I think, was too self-indulgent. But I respect him as a filmmaker. He's definitely, you know, a singular filmmaker for sure. I sort of made, it's interesting that you said, I sort of make this analogy sometimes between Lynch and um, Wes Anderson and that. I just saw The French Dispatch. I don't know if you saw that. And and I I think that, and again, I've only seen it once, so I don't know, but to me, The French Dispatch is a movie that I have great admiration for, but Royal Tenenbaums is a movie that I love. Uh, and yeah. you know, I think there's a distinction there. And I sort of sometimes feel that way about 
what Lynch does. And um, uh, so uh, I, I guess, um, so, you know, I think, um, so I think the two novels, I, I, there were I, there was stuff in the final dossier that I probably would have preferred not to know. Like I'm not one of those people who needed to know what happened to uh, Donna or um, whatever. I didn't need to go there, but um, there were stuff in the two books that, you know, I thought was, were great, was great. And then there was uh, maybe some stuff that I thought, you know, I think Mark said he did it because he felt like fans deserve to know what, what happened to these characters. I, I wouldn't put myself in, in that camp that I needed to know what happened. I mean, and, and Donna was, on, you know, so many people hated Donna, but I, I really liked her. I didn't need to know what happened to her. Um, but so, but, I, you know, I do think as trite and as it is that in many ways, you know, Mark brought the heart and uh, David brought the um, sort of, um, uh, what, how do I say this? I thought David was is more cerebral, maybe, uh, you know, and then Mark, I mean, you know, Mark is definitely a humanist and, and so much of the warmth of uh, Twin Peaks is, I think, due, due to what, what he did. And I think that comes through in the books uh, more than in the return. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your upcoming book, uh, Murder at Teal's Pond, Hazel Drew and the Mystery that Inspired Twin Peaks which you co-wrote with the Mark T. Givens. Uh, it comes out, I think, next uh, January. Um, can you talk a little bit about that book? Because I think it's uh, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, so that book, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you get it in December, but otherwise it, it comes out January 1st. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, Mark Givens and I each had separately come across Mark Frost talking about the murder of a young woman um, he called her Hazel Gray, and he just said it was upstate New York, where his grandmother had had a, a summer home. And he and Scott, and later, I guess, Lindsay, their sister, would go visit the grandmother every uh, summer. And um, that's all I really knew. That's all we really knew about it at that point. And, and um, we couldn't find, I, I couldn't find a Hazel Gray when I was writing the, the Twin Peaks FAQ book, but I did find a Hazel Drew, and I did mention at the time that in the book, I think I said he must have been talking about Hazel Drew in, in uh, Troy and Sand Lake, New York. And um, that was all I had time to do with it at that point, but I sort of stored it in the back of my head that I wanted to do more about it. And that's when I reached out to Mark Givens, and, and we, we spent like six years researching it. And the story is basically this, that um, this 20-year-old woman uh, named Hazel Drew, who was a housekeeper in Troy, uh, and she worked for three different house uh, households. Each, each, each of the men in the household were, as it turned out, were extremely powerful people in Troy. Um, one, uh, one was uh, the city uh, treasurer, another was city engineer, and the third had was a very wealthy coal manufacturer who ran, two of the three ran for mayor, but, but two of the three held public, public office. And, and so she, she came from these very modest, poor um, country uh, family. And then she went, wound up working in three of the most powerful uh, 
households in Troy. And on, on Ju July 11th, 1908, her body was found by some campers in a pond up in uh, the woods of Sand Lake, New York, a, a hamlet called Taberton Mountain. And uh, they never, she had been, she had been struck uh, with, a, with some instrument to the back of her head and uh, died before, she didn't drown, she died and then was thrown into the water. That's what the autopsies revealed. And they never found the killer. So Mark and I wanted to go back and, and, and this was one of two, inf two stories that, that influenced Mark when he was dreaming up uh, Twin Peaks with David Lynch, who was, had his own inspirations. And we all know about his fascination with troubled blonde women. So we know where he was coming from. But, <laughs> but Frost had these two, uh, and that was one of two instances that played a role on his uh, contribution to the Laura Palmer arc. And um, they never found the killer. And Mark Givens and I, uh, you know, went, spent six years researching this. And, you know, we, we think we've come up with a pretty credible explanation as to what happened. Um, it's interesting because we've gotten reviews in the trade press so far and Publishers Weekly and Booklist, and they both thankfully were very positive reviews, and, but they both said whether you buy their explanation or not. So <laughs> I, I think it's pretty <laughs> believable, but uh, you know, of course there's no smoking gun. It's, it's 113 years old, the murder. So uh, you know, we didn't have any DNA to work with or any um, witnesses to talk to or anything like that. But I think we present a pretty credible scenario. I think uh, Mark Frost wrote the introduction to the book, right? He did. He did, Ahmed. He did write the introduction to it. And it's, it's really good. I mean, he's such a good writer. And he did write the introduction. I also wanted to mention, you know, we were talking about fiction before. The, the first version of this book that Mark and I wrote, Mark Givens and I wrote, was pretty journalistic. And, and, you know, our, um, we were working at that time with a company called Metabook, and they came up to us and said, no, 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 you've got to make this creative nonfiction. So we reworked it. And it really, I, I hope and think, does read like a novel. So, um, you know, there were times we took a little creative liberty in terms of, like, if it said, you know, John Smith, uh, you know, met with the press that day, we might have imagined, and we, we state this up front, that we're imagining some of the dialogue, not all of it. There's a lot that we got out of newspapers from the time, but there is a little bit of, we, do, we did uh, rely, this is a little bit more imaginative than the other stuff that I've written. Yeah, I look forward to, uh, to reading that. Well, I really hope you'll let me know what you think of it. I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah, you yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh, what's uh, coming up for you? What are you working on now? Well, you know, we've got this publishing company and, and in January uh, of next year, we have a book coming out on The Wire uh, with um, a collection of essays written by African-American critics, uh, taking a look at The Wire and sort of the, uh, in the era of Black Lives Matter, which is a really good book. Um, and then in um, March, we have a book coming out on um, the women of Genji Cohen. So uh, the women, the women characters in shows like uh, Orange is the New Black and Weeds and um, and so on. And then uh, my next book, 
Scott, Scott Ryan, my partner at, at FMP has a book coming out uh, next year on Fire Walk With Me, uh, which is a completely different type of look at that movie. And then my next book is, is which is written in, in sort of now in the proofing stages or editing stages is uh, a book about um, a police force uh, and uh, up in upstate New York that um, looking at like this period around the turn of the around 2000 where uh, four members of the police force wound up this is in Schenectady, New York, wound up going to prison for um, uh, the, what they were doing was trading drugs for um, information. And, and it was actually uh, the basis of a movie called The Place Beyond the Pines that was made a few years back with Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. But my, I look at it through the eyes of the chief, the man who was chief at that time, who, uh, Later himself, after he retired, he was forced to resign as a result of this. And, and later on in his life, he got arrested and did some time in jail for a cocaine possession. So that's where that's my next book. And that should be out sometime in 2023. And after that, I'm not sure what what what's next, um, but I'll be working on something. Well, I'll definitely. Uh... You know, look out for for all these books, and I'll check out the, your uh, your press as well, and see all the books that have been published uh, by by your press. And uh, I don't want to take any more of your time, and uh, I've already taken a bit too much. So um, thank you very much, uh, David, for joining me on the show. I've uh, I've wanted to do this for uh, for a while now, and uh, again. Uh, for anybody who hasn't read Conversations with Mark Frost, you, you really uh, should pick up a copy of that book. If you are a filmmaker, a writer, a person interested in TV history, a person interested in the career of Mark Frost or David Lynch, or of course, someone interested in Twin Peaks. So thank you, David, and uh, I hope you join me again on the show. Oh, I would love to. And I really, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the support. I really do. And it's been a real pleasure talking to somebody, uh, you know, who is, um, first of all, our supporter, but secondly, um, you know, the the um, level of conversation and insights, it was really um, provocative and inspiring. So thank you very much on that. She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. Look, you guys, please, what did I do? What's going on? Entering the town of Twin Peaks. FBI. Right. Something troubling you, Bobby? You want to tell us about it? Oh, God. You think I killed her? There it is. Oh, my God, here it is. Twin Peaks. Next. Sheriff, we got a lot to talk about. I'd like to end this episode with a poem by Edgar Allan Poe. It's called Annabelle Lee. And this version is read by Ed Good and is taken from the LibriVox website. And you can download this poem and many other poems, stories, and novels from the website. And thanks for listening 
to this episode of the Dark Fantastic Podcast, and please join me again soon. It was many a many year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child, and she was a child, in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee. With a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that, long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabelle Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who are older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in heaven above, nor the demons down under the sea, can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabel Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of my beautiful Annabel Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabel Lee. And so all the night tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in her sepulchre there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. You've been listening to The Dark Fantastic Podcast. Flashes in the dark, tiny stories, vast dimensions. The Highway The car sped down the dark highway, not too fast, but fast enough. He wanted to leave it all behind. The town, the mystery, the girl he thought he loved. He gripped the steering wheel. He put some pressure on the brake pedal. Should he go back? Should he go deeper? Did he really want to know? Or was it better to remember her the way he did now? Beautiful, pure, kind. Before the blood ran down the sand and she was lost to him forever. He stopped the car. The road ahead was dark. The way back was darker. Copyright, Ahmed Khalifa, 2021 Ahmed Khalifa is a filmmaker and novelist. He is the writer-director of several short films and a feature, released on Netflix, 
and the author of a number of novels and short stories, including, Beware the Stranger, available on Amazon.